You're listening to This Week in Sports. Hey, what's going on, everybody? It is Friday, October 26th, 2018. I'm back on a Friday. Yes, congratulations to me. It's been a few weeks since I have produced an episode on a Friday, but I'm back. Here we are. It is Friday. The weather's not so great. It's it's kind of cold outside, and it's shifting towards a nor'easter, so I'm told, with winds in the 40 to 50 mile an hour range. I hope that's not true. I hope everybody out there can enjoy their Halloween parties this weekend and whatever else you've got planned. Hopefully Mother Nature stays away and everybody can just enjoy their weekend. Of course, Sunday and mostly tomorrow, I will be on my couch watching college football, some NFL action, World Series is underway. Listen, I'm going to get to all of it, but first... I have to mention something about another little uh, podcast that I work with called The Glorious House of Gains. Yes, with Robert Frank 615. I must mention this because it was a very cool moment yesterday when we found out that we officially cracked the top 200 in the comedy category. It was a really cool moment considering we're only now 30 episodes in, but at the time yesterday, this was 29 episodes in because we did a brief episode last night. But very cool moment. We've since dropped out and it's constantly fluctuating. I'm not quite sure how it updates uh, quickly or, or every couple minutes or every hour or so, but we reached as high as 165 and we were at 191 and I did grab a screenshot of that and I did post it on my Instagram if you want to go check that out. But yes, very cool moment. Okay, so getting back into things, we're going to start off with NFL action, okay? So we begin with Sunday Night Football where the Chiefs continue to to impress and prove that they are one of the top two or three best teams in the NFL. I think right now you've got to, I understand the Patriots beat them a week ago on Sunday Night Football, but they it, they didn't show any signs of wear from this game. They lost their, that was just their first game of the season that they dropped. Sometimes teams can relax once they lose that first game. The pressure's off of them from trying to stay undefeated and maybe go 16-0 like the Rams are right now, and they face that pressure. But the Chiefs come back. They beat the Bengals 45-10. to Listen, the Bengals are the Bengals. They have looked good this season. They started off nice. But it's the Bengals, and it's Marvin Lewis, and he has been with this team for 15 years, and he still has no playoff victories, and Andy Dalton is an okay quarterback, but he's not great. We all know the stories behind them, so they proved that they're not the real deal, and the Chiefs proved that they really are, so they trounce the Bengals 45-10. to My man Patrick Mahomes throws for four more touchdowns. He now has 22 passing touchdowns through the first eight games to break the previously held record of 21 by Kurt Warner. I'll get into this a bit later, but this is uh, another record that Kurt Warner held that I will be talking about later. Um, So yeah, the Chiefs are looking to continue their pace. They're one of the best scoring offenses, and I understand, listen, Andy Reid is an offensive genius. He's an offensive guru, but we still have to wait and see and find out. This is it looks like the best team that Andy Reid has ever had, 
between his teams with the Eagles and now the Chiefs. He's he's been able to do some stuff in Kansas City with Alex Smith over the past few few years, but Patrick Mahomes really looks like the real deal, and we'll see if they can keep this going. And if we get a Chiefs Rams Super Bowl, I think that would be really, really exciting. Two high-powered offenses. I'd love to see it. The Kansas City defense has got to step up and do a little bit better job, which they did in this game, bottling this Bengals up and holding them to just 10 points. So we'll see. We'll see how the season progresses and see how they do this weekend. Okay, we got to talk about the Eagles, the reigning Super Bowl champs. This has been an interesting up and down season for them so far, and Sunday was... um, kind of the low point for them, if you will. They blew a 17-0 lead to the Panthers and lost 21-17. This is now the fourth loss for the Eagles this season and drops their record below 500 at 3-4. Okay, the Eagles lost just three games all of last season, so now they've lost more games already through seven weeks than they have last season when they won the Super Bowl. Listen, um, Doug Peterson came out after the game and said, oh, the pressure's off now that we've, you know, we've lost more games than last year, so the pressure's off. Listen, you're under 500. The pressure's not off. You're lucky that you're in a division in which there's one team above 500 and you're one game away from being tied atop the division and have a, still have a shot at the playoffs. You're banged up at the running back position. There's a lot of question marks right now for this team, and they're do- they don't look as good as they did a year ago. So we'll have to wait and see what happens, but I don't like him trying to make excuses that the pressure is off. All right. We have a big matchup on Sunday between the, I just mentioned them, undefeated Rams and the Green Bay Packers. This is very intriguing and interesting. Apparently, if the current betting odds stand, the Packers will be the biggest underdogs in a game under Aaron Rodgers or in Aaron Rodgers' career. Very interesting. So currently, the Superbook at the Westgate Las Vegas opened the Green Bay Packers as 8.5-point underdogs. I just checked Yahoo. I don't know about Vegas, but Yahoo has them as 9-point underdogs as of right now. This is a big spread. I just said the pressure of of being undefeated. I saw a headline saying, are the Rams good enough to go 16-0? That pressure is real, and it is mounting with each win that the Rams get. So honestly, I'm going to go out here, and I'm going to say that the Packers will play very well in this game. I think it's going to be very, very high scoring in the 30s, and I'm going to say that the Packers lose this one in a tight one, 33 to 27 is the final and I think if you're a betting man you take the Packers at plus eight and a half plus nine whatever the spread ends up being in this one okay oh right okay sorry so a little bit more on this game this marks the largest total since the Packers were eight point underdogs to the Seahawks in 2014 Green Bay was then an underdog to the Arizona Cardinals by 7 in 2015. They were underdogs by 6 to the New York Jets in 2010 and to the Atlanta Falcons by 5.5 in 2016. All of those games but that Jets game came in the playoffs and they did beat the Jets at MetLife 
by a score of 9-0. to zero. Okay, some interesting news. Panther safety Eric Reed and Malcolm Jenkins got into it on Sunday. Reed called Jenkins a sellout. The two have been battling since late last season when Malcolm Jenkins, who co-founded the Players Coalition, stopped kneeling during the national anthem after the NFL announced it would donate $100 million to causes considered important to the coalition. After the game, Reed said Jenkins capitalized on the situation. Reed was the first player to join Colin Kaepernick in kneeling when both players were on the 49ers. He also added that he co-opted with the movement that was started by Colin to get his organization started. It was cowardly. He sold us out. That's a direct quote from Eric Reed. So no love lost between him and Malcolm Jenkins. Those are some very harsh words. Reed was not signed, as, as you all probably know by now, through the first four weeks of the season because of his harsh criticism of the NFL and the fact that he said he wasn't going to stop kneeling, and that's why he was pretty much without a job, but a lot of injuries for the Panthers, and they went out and signed him. They lost starting free safety Denoris Searcy. He was placed on IR after suffering his second concussion in a month, and that's when they brought in Reed. Reed kneeled during this game, as he has done in every game since Carolina signed him. Very interesting, so we'll have to see how that plays out for the future. Um, Again, no love lost. I don't think Malcolm Jenkins will be inviting Eric Reed to his Thanksgiving dinner anytime soon. Okay, here's a big one. On Monday, Ray Carruth, this was pretty much before my time. I was only, you know, I was like 10, 11 years old when all this stuff happened. So actually, I was younger than that. I was like eight or nine. But on Monday, Ray Carruth, the former first round pick out of Colorado in 1997, was released from prison after serving 19 years in the murder of Sherika Adams, who was his on again, off again girlfriend. So this is just brutal, and I don't know how this man is seeing the light of day, but listen to this story real quick. Just give me a few moments here if you don't know the story, because I had no idea about this. So in 2001, Carruth was convicted of conspiring to murder Adams, who was nearly eight months pregnant with his child. Say what? Yeah, this is bizarre. It's baffling. It's disgusting and disgraceful. And someone like this should never see the light of day, but let's, I don't know the whole, all the facts and, and if he's rehabilitated or not, but it's just, it, it, it's talk about justice. But anyway, let me get back to this. Okay, so when she was shot four times in her car on November 16th, 1999. So what happened was Caruth, he pulled his car up in front of Sherika Adams and blocked her in while a hitman that Caruth hired pulled up alongside her and proceeded to shoot into her car, striking her approximately four times. Sherika Adams didn't die immediately. However, she clung to life. Doctors performed an emergency C-section less than 90 minutes after she was shot and were able to successfully save her baby's life. However, due to blood loss and oxygen deprivation, The baby was born with brain damage and cerebral palsy. Very, very sad. Four weeks later, Sherika Adams died in the hospital. 
Her son, Chancellor Lee, has been raised since birth in Charlotte by his grandmother, Sandra Adams, who was Sherika's mother. Very, very sad story. And it's shocking to think that this man is going to get out of prison. I mean, it's very tough. It's hard to justify. My, you know, my heart goes out to the family of Sherika Adams. I don't know what kind of man would would blatantly and purposefully murder his own... He tried to murder his own child, his own unborn child. He did not succeed, but it's just a crazy, crazy story. And I don't know how someone like that can get out of prison, but just highlights another instance in which the NFL gets a bad rap and a bad name, and they they have players that just are on another level. And I don't know what it is, whether it's... The violence of the sport, they bring that home with them or what, but man, they weren't even married. It's like, you know, just break up with the person and and move on. I mean, the good thing to come out of that was, you know, even if they hated each other, they were going to have a kid together and, you know, you, you've got to do your part as a, as a father, but nope. Sorry, he thought the easy way out was to try and hire someone to murder his pregnant wife. Sickening. All right, let's move on from that. All right, the Cowboys, who were in desperate need of a number one wide receiver, finally made a big-time trade and secured Amari Cooper from the Raiders. So Jerry Jones pulled that trigger, and he is sending a first-round pick to the Raiders. Okay, that's a big one. A first-rounder for Amari Cooper. I don't know if that warrants a first-round pick, but Amari Cooper is still just 24 years old. Jason Garrett praised Cooper in a radio interview. Amari Cooper with the Raiders, you have seen a steady decline over the past few seasons, but the Cowboys are hoping some fresh scenery will do him some good. They are sitting at 3-4, and four, same record as the Eagles, but they are still very much in the playoff race considering, again, no one has run away with the NFC East. Now, here's the interesting part. On the flip side of that, players in Oakland are not happy with John Gruden. Gruden apparently went on record and said they were not shopping Amari Cooper, and players are upset because Gruden didn't bother telling them about the trade. And one player spoke on the condition of anonymity, which is never a good thing when a player is going to the media and talking to them anonymously. He said, and I quote, We didn't want to believe it was coming, and coach said we weren't going to trade him. When what you say and what you do are two different things, there is a problem. You have to wonder if we haven't been playing for draft picks all along. So he's saying you have to wonder if Gruden was tanking this season to begin with, and they weren't even trying to win from an organizational standpoint. This, yeah, again, things in Oakland are not going well. I think John Gruden is starting to contemplate why he came out of retirement. But listen, he has a plan, and as much as people want to get on Gruden, he now has recouped. He has three first-round picks for next year's draft, April's draft. That is a huge haul for, for some of these players he's traded in, in uh, Khalil Mack and now Amari Cooper. So three first-round picks. If he gets those right, the Raiders have a bright future. They're moving to Vegas. I mean, the the it's, it's tough because NFL is a win-now organization. People want to see their team win now, and 
to have to rebuild. It sucks, I know, but you have to. You've signed John Gruden to a long-term ten-year contract to be your head coach. It's either him or the players. They're not going to turn their back on Gruden, so it's the players, and that's the business of it. And we'll have to wait and see how things play out and and what the future holds for the Oakland Raiders and John Gruden. But right now, he's he's looking to the future and he wants to bring in his own guys. And if he doesn't like what he's got on the roster, sorry, you're not staying. Okay, let's talk about the Giants now for a second. They lost on Monday Night Football 23-20 to to the Atlanta Falcons. This drops their overall record to 1-6. and And this marks the second straight year they started 1-6. and Last year, they started 1-8. The stat sheet looks imp- looked impressive for both teams, but no, this was a sloppy, low-scoring game until really the second half of the second half even, okay? Eli ends up throwing for 399 yards, one touchdown, while Sterling Shepard led the team with five catches, 167 yards. Odell also added eight receptions for 143 yards and a touchdown. Saquon Barkley could not get things started on the ground, rushing for just 43 yards on 14 carries. For the Falcons, Matt Ryan threw for 379 yards and a touchdown. Julio had nine receptions for 109 yards, and Tevin Coleman added 11 carries for 50 yards, including a big 30-yard touchdown run in the fourth quarter. Pat Shermer made a very questionable call in the third quarter to go for two, down by eight points, it was 20 to 6 i believe the touchdown made it 20 to 12 and then instead of going for the extra point to make it a 7 point game he decides to go for 2 it fails and they're down 8 i don't understand the 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 call i don't know why he did it and yeah it looks like analytics was a big part of it and analytics now creeping into football is not a good thing in my opinion it's not a good thing for any sport you have to go on feel and gut and what makes the most sense and kicking the extra point is what made the most sense. Because for a team that struggles to score, even if you convert that two-point conversion, okay, great, now you're down six points. Are you going to be able to score another touchdown and take the lead by one before the Falcons score any points? No. So it's pointless. And now you're putting yourself in an even bigger hole going for having to go for a two-point conversion late if you are able to score a touchdown to try to tie the game. just doesn't make sense. Um, let's see. Okay, yes. Earlier in the game also, yeah, this is this is what's so bizarre about the Giants. They have they they have a hard time scoring points to begin with, and yet he goes for a two-point conversion and then earlier in the game, he also made the decision to go for it on fourth and goal instead of kicking a field goal, and the Giants do not get the first down or do not get the touchdown and they end up losing by 3. So you tell me, what was the right call? I don't think he made it. Odell, I, like I mentioned, he scored a touchdown with just five seconds remaining. And then Saquon ran in the two-point conversion to cut it within three. But a failed onside kick ended this one. Yeah, when they couldn't, they failed to score with about 30 seconds left from the goal line. That game was already over. It was two plays prior to that Odell touchdown that everybody was wondering 
what Eli Manning was doing, okay? And I argued with my dad about this. He's saying, oh, Eli didn't make the call to, to do the quarterback sneak, but I beg to differ, okay? A good veteran quarterback is telling everybody, get to the line quickly, quickly, and QB sneak it. And when the first one didn't, okay, so let me back up for a second. This is what happened. With no timeouts from the one-yard line, Eli tried to quickly sneak the ball into the end zone, okay? He was stuffed not once, but then he got up, decided not to spike the ball, and then go for the go go for another quarterback sneak, which failed a, again. By the time they got to the line, hiked the ball, he throws a little sort of fade route to Odell, who catches it in the back of the end zone for the touchdown. Just five seconds were remaining. So, okay, if you want to argue that Pat Shermer made the call on the first one, that's great. You got to get up there and spike the ball. You can't sink it again because you're losing precious seconds. And then when they don't get it a second time, forget it. Game over. Finito. Um, It is worth noting, actually, that OBJ became the fastest receiver in NFL history to eclipse 5,000 yards in the Super Bowl era. He needed just 54 games to reach the milestone, so the Eli to Odell connection over the last couple of years since uh, Odell's been in the league has been a the big the most actually it's been the the most impactful uh, combination quarterback to wide receiver basically ever so pretty impressive there there's no denying Odell Beckham Jr.'s prowess and his impact for a team and his ability no question it's just that his locker room presence and his actions don't equate to a winning franchise. All right, some tough news for the Broncos and Chad Kelly, their backup quarterback. He was arrested for criminal trespassing early Tuesday morning. He is facing a charge of first-degree criminal trespassing, and according to the arrest affidavit, Kelly tried to... He didn't try. He entered the home. He... Excuse me. He entered someone else's home uninvited and sat down next to a woman who was holding her young child. He was so drunk, he was mumbling incoherently, totally wasted out of his mind. The male homeowner then knocked him over the back of the head with an aluminum vacuum tube and kicked him out of the house. If you know if you know Chad Kelly and you followed him closely in college, He has had a history of troubling behavior. He was suspended, then dismissed from his high school football team. He was also dismissed from Clemson in 2014, I believe, for conduct detrimental to the team. Several months after that, he was kicked out of a nightclub and threatened to, and I quote, get my AK-47 and spray this place. That's real nice. Also, while attending one of his brother's high school games, he jumped out of the stands and onto the field when his brother, who was the quarterback, took a late hit, which caused a scuffle to ensue between both teams. So he clearly has a temper, and he clearly has some issues he needs to work out. Chad Kelly was the Mr. Irrelevant of 2017, meaning he was the last pick of the 2017 NFL Draft, and he is the nephew of Hall of Fame quarterback Jim Kelly. The Broncos, again, they did not waste much time by cutting him. As news broke of his arrest on Tuesday, they cut him by Wednesday. They had announced they were releasing him a day later. So if Chad Kelly, who I think played one snap this year, if he wants to 
if he's going to get any more playing time in the NFL, it's not going to be with the Broncos. So he's gone. The Giants. Oh, I think I was just talking about them. Yeah, they're making more headlines this week. They're in a friggin' fire sale, okay? They decided now they're trading Eli Apple to the Saints for a fourth-round pick in 2019 and a seventh-round pick in 2020. Eli Apple was a former first-round pick, and not only was he a first-round pick, he was the 10th overall pick. Just 22 tackles on the season this year. And if you remember last year, if you follow the Giants, last year, Pro Bowl safety Landon Collins called Apple a cancer to the team. So it was known amongst the locker room that they did not really like Eli Apple from the moment he got to the Giants and he was drafted. Okay. He never lived up to expectations, and yet, life. Lucky for lucky for Eli Apple, he kind of gets the last laugh. He's now going from a one and six dumpster fire in the New York Giants to a five and one Saints team that desperately needs cornerback help. Vikings defensive end Everson Griffin will resume team activities this week. Yeah, so that's good news for the Vikings. Everson Griffin is back. I guess he got he got right in the head. He was dealing with personal health issue over the past month, if you recall. I reported on that, oh, about probably last month in one of my episodes. Been away from the team since September 22nd. He was involved in that incident at a downtown Minneapolis hotel. He threatened to shoot someone if he wasn't allowed back into his room. I don't know what it is with football players and threatening to shoot people. Okay. Um, He was then reportedly evaluated in a Minneapolis area hospital. Last month, Griffin apologized via Instagram to his teammates and everyone who was impacted. The Vikings have a big rematch this Sunday against the Saints in a rematch of that NFC Championship game, so it is going to be nice to have Griffin back. Okay, a report came out. Excuse me. <clears throat> a report came out earlier in the week stating that star cornerback Patrick Peterson wasn't happy with the way things are going in Arizona and was demanding he be traded. He put out a statement on Wednesday admitting to being incredibly frustrated with the 1 and 6 start, but most importantly, he said he wants to be a part of turning things around. He said he has given his all to the team and intends to for the years to come. So it does look like by that statement, he wants to be a part of the rebuilding process and a part of the future in Arizona. I don't know how true that is. He might just be trying to save face a little bit, but um, I wouldn't blame him if he wanted out of Arizona. He's being wasted. His talent's being wasted on a team that's going nowhere for this year and could be the next couple of years. We'll have to see. Okay, back to the Giants. They made another trade, trading away defensive tackle Damon Snacks Harrison to the Lions. Okay, they are definitely in fire sale mode. Their season's over. First Eli Apple, now Harrison is off to the Lions for just a fifth round pick. The former All-Pro, he played with the Jets early in his career, now with the Giants. One of the top two or three best run stuffers in the entire NFL Hasn't played up to expectations this year, but he's still a very solid player. And for the Lions to only get a, I mean, for the Giants to only get a fifth round pick out of him and then a fourth and seventh for Eli Apple, they're not doing very good. So I don't know what Dave Gettleman's over there doing, but John Gruden's over here getting first rounders for his players. 
So maybe you might want to take a page out of his book or call him up and have a conversation. Um, It's interesting to note that the Giants probably are not done trading players. Cornerback Janoris Jenkins is owed 14.75 mil over the next two seasons, and veterans Olivier Vernon and Landon Collins might also pique the interests of some other notable uh, playoff hopeful teams. Eli Manning will not be going anywhere, Giants fans, as he has a no-trade clause. Of course, Saquon Barkley and Odell will not be going anywhere either. But everyone else is probably up for up for sale. All right, everybody, it looks like, has gotten some lotto fever. The Mega Millions, I just bought my Powerball ticket earlier today because that drawing is tomorrow. But earlier in the week, we had the Mega Millions, which rose to a record $1.6 billion dollars. Juju Smith-Schuster got in on the action. He bought over a, he bought over a hundred dollars worth of tickets, and he his reasoning behind that was he tried to win it so we could get Le'Veon back. It didn't work. Yeah, no, it didn't work. You didn't win. I didn't win. Most people didn't win. Apparently, one person in Sampsonville, South Carolina, hit it big on that one point six billion dollar jackpot. South Carolina has is one of the eight states, I believe, that that you can remain anonymous when you win. So we will never know who this lucky winner is. But the nobody won the Powerball on fr- uh, Thursday's drawing. So although I did win $8, I hit the Powerball number. And if you don't know much about the lottery, when you play the Mega Millions or the Powerball, I caution you to play the either mega plier for the mega millions or the power play for the powerball you spend an extra dollar so instead of two dollars you pay three dollars for a ticket in my case for the powerball by playing that extra dollar i won eight dollars instead of four because the power play ball was a two times so you get two times whatever you whatever you win so if you don't play that extra dollar you don't get two times three times four times whatever the power play ball ends up being so, and same goes for the Mega Millions. So just a little lottery advice for you out there. Okay, so, yeah, Juju Smith is trying to woo the Steelers to get uh, Le'Veon Bell back. And as you all know, he did not report during the Steelers' bye week, as was anticipated, and he continues to hold out for a long-term contract. I wasn't going to report on this But I thought it was pretty cool, and he's a part of my fantasy team. So 49ers tight end George Kittle apparently does care about fantasy football owners. On Sunday, Kittle scored a touchdown and during the review process was speaking to Aaron Donald when he said he had to get in the end zone because his fantasy owners were counting on him. I absolutely love this. Most players yell at uh, fantasy owners when they call them out for for making that, you know, not having a good performance and causing them to lose their matchup and they get heated and pissed off because they're not worried about fantasy football. They're worried about their play on the field and helping their team win. But George Kittle, on the other hand, he wants to work for his fantasy football owners. He wants to do good. He wants to score points. And I love it because George Kittle's on my fantasy team. He's having a great season. He was a low-key pick by myself. I knew he was going to be a Dud top five tight end, and even with the loss of Jimmy Garoppolo, he has still been great. Had 98 receiving yards and a touchdown in this game, and he continues to produce for me. So keep it going, 
George Kittle. Last night, Thursday night football, the Houston Texans won their fifth straight. They destroyed the Miami Dolphins 42-23. The Texans started their season 0-3, but now have reeled off five straight wins. The Dolphins started 3-0, but now have dropped four of their last five. Brock Osweiler was making his third straight start for the injured Ryan Tannehill. Deshaun Watson looked absolutely phenomenal in this one. Sad to say this, but I benched him in my fan, my one fantasy league because I hate, I hate Thursday night matchups. Luckily, I played Lamar Miller, who was good, but Deshaun Watson had 40 points, 239 yards, and five touchdowns. With those five touchdown passes through the air, Deshaun Watson now passes Dan Marino for the second most touchdown passes through a player's first 50 career games. Marino had 32. Watson now has 33. And the only Kurt Warner had more touchdowns through his first 15 games with 36. I mentioned Lamar Miller. He had a good night, rushed for over 100 yards for the second straight week, also had a touchdown in this one. And DeAndre Hopkins, oh my God, just listening to it doesn't do it justice, but this was the catch of the year, and this might be the best catch since Odell in 2014. Take a listen. Third down and eight. Watson, pass downfield, and what a catch. Oh, DeAndre Hopkins. Oh, but it's offensive pass interference. That's the call. A couple flags. There's one on the opposite side of the field as well. Did he secure this catch? It may not count, but my gosh, he caught. Hey, John. Oh, my God. He sure did. (laughs) I mean, how good is that? He caught one on Sunday against Jacksonville, 31-yarder, and it was about as good as you'll see as well. You can kind of hear it in Joe Buck and Troy Aikman's voices how spectacular that catch was, but if you didn't get a chance to see it, you have to go back and catch it. It was OPI, which was stunning because I didn't see a push-off really there, and they should have given it to him because that catch was remarkable. So Hopkins is fading back. He's, He's running down the sideline. He turns around. One hands it with his left hand, sticks to his glove, and then he pulls as he's pulling it down. He's falling over, secures it under his leg by and pins it against his foot as he rolls over. It was ridiculous. I truly believe DeAndre Hopkins has the best hands in the NFL and is emerging as the number one wide receiver in all of football. No questions about it. This catch was ridiculous, phenomenal, insane, whatever word you want to use. Um, It is worth noting that the Texans got some bad news out of this one. It was confirmed this morning, today, on Friday. They will be losing Will Fuller, wide receiver, for the year due to a torn ACL. It's a big blow for for the Texans, who again have now won five straight. They sit atop the AFC South, and they're looking at a playoff run. The Texans, if you remember back to last season, right around this point, the midway point, they lost to Sean Watson for the year to a torn ACL. So this is another tough blow. Will Fuller was their number two wide receiver lining up alongside DeAndre Hopkins. We'll see. They have Kiki QT, who has emerged nicely. He was out 
of this one with, I believe, a hamstring injury. So he probably won't miss much time and he'll slide in there. But we'll see if the Texans decide to go out and sign a veteran or maybe a Des Bryant. He's still on the market, eh? Hey, you never know. We'll have to wait and find out, though. Okay. Um, We're going to go over quickly last week's games, and then I will preview this weekend's games. Okay, so week seven. It was disappointing for my New York Jets. They had their third straight home game hosting the Minnesota Vikings. I thought they'd play a little bit better. They had their opportunities. It was 10-7 to at halftime, but the Jets in the second half just could not muster much. They lose this one 37-17. It is worth noting that they lost Bilal Powell. He's headed to IR. He will miss the remainder of the year with a severe neck injury. Head coach Todd Bowles did call it earlier in the week. He said it could be a career-ending injury, but he took those words back saying that's not at all what it will be. He will be back next year. Well, I don't know if he'll be back, but it's not a career-ending injury because he's set to become a free agent. The Denver Broncos beat the Arizona Cardinals 45-10. I reported on that last week. That was Thursday night. The Tennessee Titans lost a close one to the Chargers 20-19. The New England Patriots beat the Chicago Bears 38-31. This one ended in one of the most spectacular, crazy finishes you'll ever see this year. Mitch Trubisky throws up a Hail Mary that was caught by Kevin White, and he was tackled at the one-yard line. He was one yard away from tying this one up. Crazy, crazy finish. The Indianapolis Colts absolutely annihilated the Buffalo Bills 37-5. The Bills are officially the worst team in football, again, because, listen, they didn't even go to Nathan Peterman in this one. They went to Derek Anderson, and I thought that they would play better, and the Colts are not a great team either, but I thought this one would be much closer. The fact that they only got five points, really, really bad. Okay, the Detroit Lions beat the Miami Dolphins 32-21. to The Carolina Panthers, I mentioned that. They came back down 17. They win 21-17 over the Eagles. The Cleveland Browns went to another overtime game. This is, what, their third or fourth, I think, now? Through seven weeks, I think it's their friggin' fourth overtime game. They lose to Tampa Bay 26-23. They had their opportunities, couldn't get it done. And the Houston Texans beat the Jacksonville Jaguars 20-7. to It's worth noting the Jaguars, I don't know what happened ever since that Jets game where Blake Bortles had his best game of his career. They have been awful. He was benched in favor of Cody Kessler in this one. The head coach, Doug Marone, has come out this week and said they are sticking by, excuse me, they are sticking by Blake Bortles this weekend. So we'll have to see how Bortles plays, but his job security is... In question right now. The New Orleans Saints beat the Baltimore Ravens by a score of 24 to 23. Justin Tucker tied the game on a touchdown. As they score this touchdown, I say to my dad, I look over and I say, Imagine if Justin Tucker misses his first career extra point. Justin Tucker has never missed an extra point in his career up until this point. And it, I have Justin Tucker as my fantasy kicker. I don't care because this missed extra point won me some money. I bet on a four-team parlay 
in which I had the Saints winning. I also separately bet on the Saints straight up money line to win this. So I did good. Um, I came out pretty nicely and it all worked itself out. Thank you, Justin Tucker, for missing that extra point. That one point, luckily, didn't cause me to lose my fantasy matchup. Thank you. So that's some good news there. The Rams continue to stay undefeated and prove why they're the number one offense and best team in football. They beat the 49ers 39-10. to George Kittle scored the lone touchdown for the 49ers. The Washington Redskins held on to beat the Dallas Cowboys 20 to 17. They are now four and two and remain atop the NFC East. And they play the Giants this Sunday. So we'll see how that one pans out. The Eagles and Cowboys are hoping they lose. The Kansas City Chiefs 45 to 10 over the Bengals on Sunday night. I mentioned that. And Atlanta beat the Giants 23 to 20 on Monday night football. Okay, let's let's get into I will preview this week's games, week eight in the NFL, my New York Jets, after a tough loss to the Vikings, they sit at three and four. They will travel to Chicago and face the Bears, who are sitting at three and three. The Bears are seven and a half point favorites in this one. Listen, the Bears, I'm not impressed with them all season long. They're not a great team. They have a decent defense with the acquisition of Khalil Mack, and they're playing decent, but they're kind of an up-and-down team. They lost to the Dolphins two weeks ago. They almost beat the Patriots. I get it. Um, this is going to be a tough one for the Jets because they're they're plagued by injuries. They lost Marcus May to a thumb injury after he came back for one game, missed all of the previous games this year, so he's out. Then his replacement, Middleton, Doug Middleton, he's now out for the year. So they're banged up on defense. We don't know if they're going to get Trumaine Johnson back. They're missing Anunwa. They're going to be without Bilal Powell now. They will get Eli McGuire back next week, the running back who's been on IR with a broken foot since the early preseason. So it's tough. I don't see I don't envision the Jets winning this game. It is another one of those like the Vikings game where you don't expect them to win, but it is very much a, a winnable game and they can win it. I don't think they will. Minus seven and a half. I'm going to say I'm honestly I'm going to take the the Bears by minus se- by by seven and a half in this one. I think they can win by about 10 and that yeah, that's pretty much what I think they're gonna win by is roughly ten. But I'm I'm not betting on this one. I'm not if I, I you know if I had to I there's some easier games out there to bet on. Okay, next up you have the Eagles and Jaguar and Jaguars. The Eagles and Jaguars are both sitting at three and four on the year, desperate for a win to get back to five hundred. The Eagles are three point favorites. This oh that's right. This is the game. In, this will be a 9.30, Eastern, 9.30 start time on Sunday morning because it's being played in London at Wembley Stadium. I didn't know on Sunday that the Titans um, game was in in London either, and I woke up a little bit late at, to catch that one. Um, but yeah, this one, the Eagles are three-point favorites. Stay away from this game. These are two really good teams, but they're spiraling out of control, and it's a crapshoot. It's anyone's guess who wins this game. Honestly, the Jaguars never play good in London. They never play good across the pond. So if anything, if anything, I would take the Eagles minus three because I I guess that's a decent number. But look for, try to get this one at two and a half. 
because I don't think it, they really win by more than three. It's going to be tough. There's not going to be much scoring, I don't believe. Next up, Tampa Bay at Cincinnati. Cincinnati is on the downswing. They're looking to bounce back. Tampa Bay got a nice win over the Browns in overtime. Bengals by three and a half. Yeah, I think the Bengals win this by about at, at least four, probably seven. Okay, next up, intriguing one. You have Detroit hosting Seattle. Both teams are three and three. Detroit is favored by three in this one. Another game that I probably would stay away from, but I'm not going to lie. I'm a big Seahawks guy, big Russell Wilson guy, and Detroit has a nice home field advantage, but I don't know what it is. I'm, I'm liking the Seahawks in this one, so I would take the Seahawks in the upset plus three. Next up, you have the Chiefs. And the Broncos, the 6-1 Chiefs, are nine-point favorites over the 3-4 and four Broncos. Listen, I was arguing with my friend who I'm playing against in fantasy this week, who is also a Broncos fan, and he's starting Case Keenum against me. And I told him he's out of his mind. He says, now that they cut Chad Kelly, there's no pressure on Case Keenum that, to have a backup come and replace him. And I think that's foo-foo baloney. I'm sorry. There was no pressure on Case Keenum. They paid him all this money in free agency to be their quarterback. Yes, he's not their quarterback of the future, but nobody was calling for Chad Kelly to come in for Case Keenum. He wasn't even playing bad, so that's BS. I'm not buying it, and I think this is another blowout. I think Kansas City will get revenge on Denver because if you remember last time these two matched up, it was quite uh, it was quite a close matchup. So I think the the um, the Chiefs looked at some tape, saw some things that the Broncos did nicely against them, and I think that they come out and they absolutely smack the Denver Broncos in this one. And I will take the over in the points on that one. Whatever the over is, I'll take it. Okay, next up, I mentioned that the Redskins are playing the Giants. The Giants are just really, really struggling. They're one and six. They're in a fire sale. Started trading away their players. They're at home, and the spread in this in this one is only Washington by one. I'm shocked it's only one. I will easily take Washington minus one in this one. Granted, I the Giants are a freaking weird team. They'll come out of the blue. If you remember last year when they started off one and six, one and eight, they came out of nowhere late in the season and they beat the Eagles 10 to seven. So being that this is a divisional game, take this one with caution. It looks on on paper when you say, oh, the four and two Redskins are hosting the dumpster fire Giants. Easy. Minus one. Oh, you take that all day, right? Which I would, if I was betting, I would take that. But do not be surprised if the Giants win because it is a divisional game and sometimes things, weird things happen in those divisional games. Okay. You have the Steelers hosting the Cleveland Browns. Steelers are favored by eight and a half. We all remember what happened in week one when they went to overtime and tied. I think the Steelers are a much different, much better team since that point. And I think Cleveland is tired. They're coming off a tough overtime game again. They've played a bunch of overtime games this season. And I think that the Steelers proved to be a little bit too much for them in this one. And I like the Steelers by at least 10. And I picked up the Steelers' D in fantasy this week, so they better ball out for me. Next up, 
you have the Carolina Panthers hosting the Baltimore Ravens. And I'm a little surprised. Baltimore is a two and a half point favorite in this one. Carolina overcoming a 17 nothing deficit. They're sitting at four and two. The Ravens are four and three, have not yet hit their bye. Um, I'm not going to lie. This one's anybody's game. This is a toss up. I think coming off a heartbreaker, the Ravens win this. But it's, yeah, it's going to be close. I, it's very tough to say when a road team is favored. And I'm struggling to find out why the Ravens, who have a worse record than the Panthers, are favored in this one. Interesting. Uh, if I had to say, again, I would take Baltimore minus two and a half, but don't touch that game if you can avoid it. Next up, you have two really abysmal teams, the 1-5 in five Oakland Raiders hosting the Indianapolis Colts. The Colts put up a whole lot of points, over 35 last week against the Bills. They play another bad team in the Raiders. The Raiders have got some locker room issues. Players are calling out John Gruden, all sorts of things going on. They traded Amari Cooper earlier in the week. I'll take the Indianapolis Colts, but traveling to Oakland, that could prove problematic. I don't know. This is an interesting game. I would take Oakland. This is another, I'm sorry, I would take Indianapolis, but this is another one of those weird games. I do think it's high scoring, actually. So if you want and you don't want to pick between this toss-up between these two teams, go for the over in points. Okay, back to this game. This is one of the 4 o'clock games, as is the Oakland and Indianapolis game. Green Bay Packers against the Los Angeles Rams in L.A., Rams by nine right now, and I don't see that. I think the Packers are giving, uh, end up giving the Rams a run for their money. I think each game that the Rams play, there's more pressure now to stay undefeated, and I think they're going to keep this one very high scoring, but very close. I see Green Bay losing by no more than six. So I would take the Packers by plus nine. I'm not going to bet against Aaron Rodgers. We all know what he's capable of doing. They should get Randall Cobb back this week as well to go along with Devontae Adams. So that's good news. Next up, you have a a matchup between two one and six teams. Okay, and we're talking the Arizona Cardinals hosting the San Francisco 49ers. San Fran favored by one and a half, and I like that. I think San Fran could win this by about three. So give me the 49ers, and I think this is low-scoring game, so I would take the under. Next up, we have the Sunday night game. I prefaced this one earlier. You have a rematch of the NFC Championship game. Minnesota hosting the Saints. Right now, the Saints are 5-1. Minnesota is 4-2-1. They had a tie against the Packers in Week 2. The Saints are a one-point favorite. The Minnesota Vikings are getting Everson Griffin back, and um, my head is saying that the Saints are going to win this one, but my heart is saying... Actually, no, the other way around. Excuse me. My heart is saying that the... Saints are going to win this one, but my head is saying go with Minnesota because they're the home team, but I'm not willing to bet on Minnesota just yet, so I do like New Orleans. Look, minus one is basically a push, so if you take them at minus one, that's great because if they win, they have to win by at least one, so you would get your money back at least. So yeah, I like New Orleans in this one by minus one, and I like this to be a very high-scoring game. And on Monday night, is anybody going to be watching this game? You have the Buffalo Bills hosting 
the New England Patriots. The Patriots are favored by 13 and a half, and that is perfect. I would lock in that bet right now because come Monday night, it's going to be over 14. If you lock it in at 13 and a half, you get the Patriots by 14. So when they win by two touchdowns, you win because they will win by at least two touchdowns, in my opinion. So that's going to do it for our NFL scoop, our NFL roundup. That's everything for week eight, and I look forward to it. I'm sitting at four and three in both of my fantasy leagues, so I'm excited. This is a big week for me, and it's a big week for a lot of teams in the NFL, a lot of big matchups. All right, we're going to swing along here and get right into our baseball coverage. So the World Series started on Tuesday with a big marquee matchup between Red Sox ace Chris Sale and Dodgers ace three-time Cy Young Award winner Clayton Kershaw. This one wasn't really much to do much to do about anything because neither pitcher was great and this was more of a high-scoring game. The Red Sox win it by a score of 8 to 4. The first five innings were bit back and forth with the Dodgers chipping away, but in the bottom of the seventh, Eduardo Nunez did this. That is hammered in the left. It is gone. Pinch hit three-run home run, Nunez. And the Red Sox open up game one. Eduardo Nunez did not start in this one against the lefty. Kind of surprising, but... Alex Cora, their manager, elected to stick with his with his lefty bats in Devers and Andrew Benatendi. Benatendi ended up having four hits in this game, three of them, I believe, coming off of Kershaw. So I guess you don't always go with the analytics, which so that was a gut feeling and good for him. But Eduardo Nunez got a pinch, got to pinch hit in this one because I believe Alex Wood came in on relief and he's a lefty pitcher, so he made the switch and went with Nunez, told him to be ready earlier in the game, and boy was he ever ready, smacks the three-run shot into the first row of the green monster, just gets it over the wall there, and it opens it up 8-4, to four, which the Red Sox never looked back, and they held on to win that one. Okay, a new report, I saw this yesterday, a new report is suggesting that Bryce Harper could be seeking a 10-year, $350 million contract in free agency. Yeah, um, if Harper can get that much, he'd become the highest paid player in Major League Baseball history, surpassing John Carlos Stanton's 13-year, $325 million deal that the Marlins gave him, which they obviously traded him to the Yankees, and now the Yankees are, are eating up that contract and paying him that money. Excuse me, once again. Kurt Schilling, snubbed by the Red Sox. This is a very interesting one, okay? On Wednesday, the Red Sox invited players from the 04 championship team to throw out the ceremonial first pitch before game two at Fenway, right? They invited David Ortiz, Pedro Martinez, Kevin Millar, Keith Folk, Tim Wakefield, Jason Baratek, and Alan Embry, all players a part of that 04 championship team. They invited all of them to participate. Kurt Schilling, who lives locally, was not a part of that group. And according to the Boston Globe, the Red Sox did not invite him. And this is not the first time his politics have gotten in the way of his role in sports. 
He was fired from ESPN two years ago for his political views and commentary. So, yeah, very interesting. I think that's the Red Sox, you know, cutting their nose to spite their face a little bit, if you ask me. I like Kurt Schilling, even though he was on the Red Sox and did beat my New York Yankees. The whole bloody Sox situation, everything. He was a great pitcher, and he helped his team win a World Series. He was a big part of it. So they should have invited him, and I think it's a little a little ticky-tack in my book. I wouldn't have done it personally, but hey, I don't run the organization. They have guys that do that. All right, also on Wednesday, the Red Sox, led by David Price, held on to beat the Dodgers 4-2 to after going winless in his first 11 postseason starts. This is crazy. Yeah, only in sports can this happen. He loses his first 11 postseason starts. David Price now wins his second consecutive playoff victory with six strong innings. Ryan Madsen walked Steve Pierce on five pitches to tie the game at two. Then J.D. Martinez singled to right field, plating a pair of runs to make it 4-2. Craig Kimbrell, no longer tipping his pitches, closed the door on the Dodgers with a 1-2-3 ninth inning. The team has that has won the first two games of the World Series has gone on to win 84% of the time, so the Dodgers are in big, big trouble. And speaking of Craig Kimbrell tipping his pitches, you might be asking yourself, what am I talking about? Well, before the World Series started, former Dodger, Dodgers and Red Sox pitcher Eric Gagne informed his friend and current Red Sox manager Alex Cora that Craig Kimbrell was tipping his pitches for the past several weeks. Cora immediately jumped on the info, passing it along to his pitching coach and video staff, and they now believe the struggling Kimbrell is back. This is interesting because Eric Gagne is the greatest closer in Dodgers history and considered one of the all-time greats. So if the Dodgers don't win a World Series for the second straight year and first since 1988, Gagne may just be gone in the hearts and minds of Dodgers fans forever. Very interesting that he would turn his back on the beloved Dodgers that he once played for, but he did play for the Red Sox as well, and he's friends with Alex Cora, so we'll see. Also, on Thursday, it was an off day for the Red Sox and Dodgers as the World Series will shift back to L.A. So the Twins made the announcement they are hiring Rocco Baldelli as their new manager. He played seven MLB seasons, mostly with the Rays. He will be the 14th manager in Twins history and the first hire outside of the organization since 1984. I believe also that at 37 years old, Baldelli will be the youngest coach in baseball for the upcoming season. I know Kevin Cash, when he was hired by the Rays, I believe he was 34. He, uh, Baldelli, that is, previously served as the Rays' Major League Field Coordinator. His playing career ended in 2010 due to complications from a muscular disorder. Since then, he had been working with the Rays, the organization that drafted him sixth overall. The Rays lost another coach, this time Charlie Montoyo, as the Blue Jays also elected to hire him to be their next manager. So the Blue Jays making news. The Major League Baseball doesn't like teams to make announcements while the World Series is ongoing. That's why they had to wait for the off day because they don't want to take 
away from the World Series. So on the off day, a couple teams announcing that they have hired new managers. If you don't know, Charlie Montoyo has been the bench coach for the Rays since 2015. He's been in the organization since 1997, which was a year before they debuted in the, in the MLB. He's he's had a run of success with AAA Durham posting six division titles and two international league titles. He played professional baseball for 10 seasons from 1987 to 96 and made his only major league cameo in 1993 when he appeared in four games for the Montreal Expos. Okay, so the Blue Jays looks like they have their man. Moving on, it seems like this World Series matchup isn't a huge ratings draw. Yeah, I just saw that the ratings for both Game 1 and Game 2 are down from last year and represent the lowest ratings for those games in at least three years. According to Sports Media Watch, Game 1 came in at an 8.2 with 13.76 million viewers. Game 1 ratings haven't been that low since 2014 when the Giants faced the Royals. In fact, they're the fourth lowest Game 1 ratings on record. Game 2, on the other hand, didn't do much better scoring a 9.9 overnight rating, which was a three-year low, and that's a 10% decline from Game 2 a year ago. The good news is the World Series was the most watched program on TV on both Tuesday and Wednesday. And it is worth noting that hours after Game 2, Mookie Betts went out of his way at about 1 o'clock in the morning in sub-30 degree weather to stand outside of Boston Public Library and provide hot meals to the homeless. So again, this is right after he just played in one of the biggest games of his life, World Series Game 2. He's probably tired. He probably wanted to go home and get some rest. But no, about 1 o'clock in the morning, he decided to go out in the streets and hand out some hot meals to the homeless. So very nice gesture. And kudos to the likely AL MVP, Mookie Betts. Okay, that's it for baseball. We're going to move on to the NBA. Trey Young went off for 35 points against the Cavs on Sunday. The Hawks rookie out of Oklahoma put up the best stat line of any rookie in the past eight years. He finished with 35 points, 11 assists, which was the best stat line by a first-year player since Steph Curry back in 2010. The number five overall pick is showing the Hawks why they believe he's a future superstar in this league. Yes. Okay. The big news really from this past week in the NBA was that fight between Rajon Rondo and Chris Paul that broke out in the Lakers and Rockets game. So you have Brandon Ingram, Rajon Rondo, Chris Paul all getting suspended. So what what happened? With about four with four minutes thirteen seconds remaining in the game Saturday night, and the Rockets ahead 109-108, so one point game, a fight occurred with multiple players. The NBA was evaluating a video shot courtside that appeared to capture Rondo spitting into the face of Chris Paul at Staples Center. The Rockets video staff took the footage during the game and it was shared with the league office. The NBA then suspended Lakers forward Brandon Ingram for four games. Rajon Rondo got three games and Chris Paul got two games, all without pay for their roles in this fight. 
So, yeah, if you go back and you watch the video, it didn't appear to show Rondo spitting. He definitely spit. There is some saliva coming out of his mouth that you could clearly see from that footage, all right? So, disgusting. I've never liked Rondo. I think that he is a punk, and he's always had issues no matter where he goes. So, yeah, that's that was the big news. I'm sure you heard about it. Also... Tuesday's game between the Pistons and Sixers featured Joel Embiid with his strongest troll game ever. Andre Drummond got ejected, but Blake Griffin was the star of the night. Blake Griffin scored a career-high 50 points in a 133-132 OT win, including the go-ahead free throw on a 1-1 to ice the game. He finished with he finished the game with 50 points, 14 rebounds, and 6 assists. And Joel Embiid had some good troll game because after the game, take a listen to what he had to say about Andre Drummond. I feel like I own a lot of real estate in there. Yeah, he said, I've never heard that before. I feel like I owned a lot of real estate in his head, meaning he was playing mind games with them all night and Andre Drummond couldn't get him out of his head and couldn't play his game because Embiid was messing with him all night. So that's pretty funny. But in the end, the Pistons and Blake Griffin get the last laugh. All right, here's another weird one. Wizards' Markeith Morris was fined $15,000 for grabbing Seth Curry's shorts. So with the game tied at 111 in the final seconds of regulation and Curry set up in the corner, Markeith Morris reached out and grabbed Curry's shorts from the bench. Morris wasn't even in the game. So he was trying to pull on Seth Curry's shorts and distract him. Pretty much cheating in a sense, right? Uh, The NBA announced, though, he will not be suspended. So just a $15,000 fine. Carl Anthony Towns did not have a good game on Tuesday. He finished with 14 points in a 112-105 loss to the Raptors. But he went just 5 of 17 from the field and 1 of 5 from the three-point line. And this is when his struggles peaked in the late in the third quarter. Towns for three. Leaves it well short. It's time to get G in the game. And just when you say it, G gets up off the bench. Cat just has that look in his face like he doesn't want to play tonight. So, so be it. That was an air ball three-pointer that he shot at the top of the key over... Jonas Valanciunas, he then pointed at his coach, Tom Thibodeau, and said, take me out of the game. So it really looked like Towns didn't even want to be there. Very interesting. I'm sure that wasn't the case. I'm sure it was just a case of a player struggling all night, and you you, you were just so frustrated after shooting a three-pointer. You're totally embarrassed that you're like, get me out of the game before I embarrass myself anymore. LeBron and the Lakers got off to an 0-3 start, and... Kobe was joking that if they get to an 0-5 start, he might have to come out of retirement. LeBron probably took notice of that because the Lakers dominated the Suns 131-111 to for their first win of the season. Lance Stevenson led the Lakers with 23 points 
eight rebounds, and eight assists off the bench, shooting 10 of 14 from the field. JaVale McGee finished with 20 and 6. LeBron didn't see the court at all in the final quarter, but he still finished with 19 points, 10 rebounds, and 7 assists on 7 of 16 shooting. The Lakers capitalized on that win Tuesday night by beating the previously undefeated Nuggets as LeBron got his first triple-double and home win as a Laker. On Wednesday night... Here was the impressive one. Steph Curry dropped 51 points on the Washington Wizards in a mere three quarters. He made 11 of his 16 three-point shots in a 144-122 to blowout. He passed Jamal Crawford and moved into fifth on the all-time three-pointers list, and he's only 30 years old. Take a listen to this highlight reel of Steph Curry hitting 11 three-pointers. Impressive. High dribbles, he keeps it alive. Oh, you gotta be kidding me. The step back got Morris. He didn't think he was gonna even shoot it. The drive and kick has worked for Washington in the early going. They're getting good looks. And Steph Curry shoots, it's always a good one for him. He's had a red goal, the ricochet rebound. Steph just catch and shoot. Oh my goodness. Is he feeling it? Yes. There it is! Steph has 11 points in the last minute and a half. Another three! Well, Scott Bruce called the timeout. It won't count, but this is the one that counted. The collegiate teams I've ever seen. Curry has not scored this quarter until now. Hey, if you're going to be playing before play, you need to let me know. Curry head of the field. He's got Durant with him. And Beal spelled it out. Curry three. Watch out. An opportunity for a four-point play. Dalla open three. And Looney giving Steph another opportunity. He's got 43. From Washington. That's, that's the thing that, that I see. Ball's they've, not moving for them. They, they've almost degraded into it. Is my unlimited range. Why isn't someone crowding him, making foot on the floor? I know it can go in, but they're suffering. Looney got a piece of that. Step three. Got another one! 18 in the quarter. He is worth the price of admission. He is worth the price of admission, as that announcer said right there. Please go on YouTube after you listen to this and watch those highlights if you haven't already seen them. Steph Curry is ridiculous. He just takes shots that nobody should take, and he makes them. He was take, There was one of those threes where he got the rebound and just dribbled the ball back to the corner, turned around, doesn't even look at the basket, shoots it up, and it's good. Everything off balance, ridiculous. The range on his shots are incredible. So, yeah, please go watch that. 51. Imagine if he played a full four quarters, what he would have finished with, probably in the 70 range. So, yeah, my favorite player to watch in in the entire NBA. The Houston Rockets, by the way, I found this out yesterday, and my jaw pretty much dropped to the ground. They are well into this Jimmy Butler trade saga, which I had no idea about. They're making a renewed bid to acquire Jimmy Butler from the T-Wolves, including they are willing 
to send four future first-round draft picks to the T-Wolves. If this is true, the Rockets are offering literally every first-round pick that they're allowed to send. Bear with me. Teams are not allowed to trade first-round picks in consecutive years. Teams also cannot trade out a pick farther than seven seasons into the future. So if you're keeping track, the offer would likely be first-round picks in 2019, 2021, 2023, and 2025. The Rockets are in a win-now mode, and their desperate offer to Butler absolutely proves that. That is desperation at its finest. I don't know what the Timberwolves are waiting to accept that offer, but they're saying that they are not going to trade Jimmy Butler. I, I just don't get it. I don't get it. If he doesn't want to be there, just trade him. This is the best offer you're going to get. And honestly, if the Rockets, from the Rockets' perspective, if they were to get Jimmy Butler, this would put them in serious contention mode and I believe that they would have enough firepower to beat the Golden State Warriors that's what I feel and that's how I look at it so from a Rockets perspective this is a great opportunity so they're willing to give give it all they've got from the T-Wolves perspective I don't know what they're doing they think they can win maybe I don't know but Jimmy Butler doesn't want to be there there's clearly tension there Kim and Towns are having their problems Towns is asking to be to be taken out of games because of his performance. Who knows if that's stemming from Jimmy Butler? I don't know. But that's your NBA action for this week, and we move on to college basketball. Not much to to, to, to go over here, just one story, and that's um, a federal jury in New York came to a verdict in the college basketball trial. Jim Gatto, Merle Code, and Christian Dawkins were each found guilty. Gatto and Code are Adidas execs, while Dawkins is an aspiring sports agent. The three were ruled guilty of wire fraud and conspiracy to commit wire fraud. The jury found they paid the family of a top recruit to attend Louisville. Gatto was found guilty of another charge involving recruiting athletes to Kansas. All three men will likely appeal the verdict, and this will continue on. And they have been, yeah, they're free. They have been freed uh, following that verdict. So, but again, this is going to probably go on for a few years at best, and we won't really have anything concrete until then. Okay, we'll move on to college football. We had some noticeable shakeups in the race for the college football playoff. The biggest being Ohio State getting absolutely trounced by Purdue 49 to 20. Nobody saw this coming. I certainly didn't see this coming. Another big upset was Washington State cruising past Oregon 34 to 20. I am absolutely not sold on this kid from Oregon, Justin uh, Herbert. um, He just does not look like he's an NFL ready quarterback. And there are now reports suggesting he is going to come back to Oregon for his senior season. So we'll see about that. We know Sam Darnold did that and his stock dropped significantly not really but it it did drop he went from the number one pick to the number three but anyway back to this the Pac-12 likely won't have a team in the college football playoff that is worth noting Washington and Oregon both now have two losses Washington State has an outside chance with one loss but they would need to win out and have a lot of teams to lose and need a lot of teams to lose to even have a chance because they're sitting at, they were number 25. They did jump up significantly, 
to number 14, but they've still got some work to do. Um, Alabama continued its dominance, beating Tennessee 58-21. Central Florida, UCF remained unbeaten, taking down East Carolina 37-10. South Florida also stayed undefeated, beating UConn 38-30. LSU had another impressive win, this time over Mississippi State 19-3. That was last week. The big matchups this weekend include number nine, Florida, facing off against number seven, Georgia. Number 24, Stanford, will host number 14, Washington State. Again, Washington State will need to win that game to have a chance at the college football playoff. Last night, number 13, West Virginia, cruised past Baylor 58-14. to They're another team, dark horse team to keep an eye out. They've got a fantastic quarterback in Will Greer. That's it for that college football Uh, news and we are at our last segment this podcast has gone way over guys it's at the 115 mark so we're going to wrap things up here on this date in sports october 26th 2000 the yankees won their third straight world series title and fourth in five years after beating crosstown rival mets and Derek jeter was named your world series mvp take a listen That's just about it, guys. We're going to wrap things up there. Again, you've been listening to episode 23 of This Week in Sports. Stay warm. Hopefully the weather holds up this weekend and everybody stays safe. Enjoy your sports. There's a ton going on. There was a ton going on this past week. I hope I reported everything and got to everything. If you have any suggestions, please hit me up on Twitter. You can find me at Anthony underscore Mold, M-U-L-D, on Twitter. You can also find me on Instagram at Little under, uh, little A-Bird, A-B-I-R-D underscore zero nine. Keep on listening to the Glorious House of Gains podcast if you have been already. If not, go check that out with Robert Frank 615 Please leave a comment and review if you're listening on iTunes. It only takes a quick second. Five-star rating would be greatly appreciated. Okay, guys, that's it. I'm your host, Anthony. You're listening to This Week in Sports. I'm out. Enjoy your weekend. Catch you on the flip side.